Hi, this is Cash Levy, and you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Keep listening. Hello there, I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, comedian and political commentator Will Durst. Uh, she's running on her record as CEO of uh, Hewlett Packard, which is like Oscar Pistorius running on his record as a marksman. We'll hear more from Will in just a bit. Donald Trump is a great negotiator, especially when he can make up the scenario and change some of the facts. We'll also have this song of the week from David Guetta featuring Sia and Fetty Wap. I think you're really going to enjoy it. It was a big hit in Britain. Didn't do very well here for some strange reason. Check it out. I think you're really going to enjoy it. But first, let's find out what a great negotiator Donald Trump is. Everyone's wringing their hands about the media fascination with Donald Trump. And uh, we're going to be part of the problem right now, even though we're not really the media per se. Uh, we're going to talk about Donald Trump. So Donald Trump was on with Anderson Cooper about a week and a half ago by the time you're hearing this. And he's talking about uh, negotiation. He can make deals. He can. This is his big thing. Even though he's a crazy racist bigot, he can make deals. He'll deal with the, uh, the opposition and, and make good deals. And uh, he starts talking about the Iran nuclear deal. And uh, I want, he's a little misinformed, one. And then listen how he, he's a great negotiator when he can make up the entire situation. Now, when he starts off okay. I don't disagree with, with uh, what, what he says at the beginning because uh, in the negotiations, uh, you know, he's, well, here's, here's what he says to start off. I would have never started negotiating that deal unless they let our prisoners go first. And I actually think that's a valid point because uh, and I, the White House would probably say, well, you know, there, there's other countries involved in the negotiations. There's, there's a window closing at this time. But I think that's a pretty good point to make. I don't disagree with Trump on that. And then it all falls apart. I would have gone in. I would have said, fellas, got to let our prisoners go. They would have said no. I would have walked. I would have doubled up the sanctions. Within 24 hours, they would have let the prisoners go. Okay, you do realize, Mr. Trump, we're not the only country imposing sanctions. It's a group effort, one. Although it would be nice if our allies went along and said, you know, let the Westerners go. But uh, secondly, somebody probably thought of that. Uh, Go on. Then I would have gone in. Now I would have gone a second bite. I would have said, listen. We're a busted country. We have no money. We owe 19 trillion dollars because I want to take the lump. My father always said, take the lumps out. He used to say, son, take the lumps out. Okay? Take, what does that mean? Now, that means many- now, here's where I think Trump is laboring under a misapprehension. This $150 billion number gets thrown around a lot that he's going to talk about in a second. And what uh, the conservatives seem to imply is that we gave Iran $150 billion as part of this deal. Uh, that is not the case. Here is Undersecretary of State Wendy Sherman, who was Undersecretary of State uh, through October of last year, explaining what that $150 billion actually is. So let me break that down for everybody. Iran has assets that are frozen in banks around the world, not in any U.S. banks, uh, but in banks in Japan, in the United Arab Emirates, in India, and a variety of other places, South Korea. Those are assets that were frozen because of the sanctions that have been in place. So it's Iran's money that have been frozen in those accounts. So it's money they have in Western banks, not even U.S. banks, actually, but other Western countries' banks that have been frozen because they refuse to comply with the uh, nuclear deal that the uh, West is trying to put together. Okay, so anyway, here's Trump uh, going on with this $150 billion thing. Because normally I go and say, we're not giving you the $150 billion. So instead I'd say, fellas, we owe $19 trillion. We're a country that has no money. 
Oh, yeah, and Iran will buy that. <laughs> the United States of America, the largest economy on the planet. We don't have any money. Oh, sure. They'll say, okay, yeah, okay, Mr. Trump, we believe that. And also, again, the $150 billion, we're not giving them $150 billion. We not only, we don't have the $150 billion, he's right about that, because it's not in any of our banks. It's in the banks of other countries, and it is, in fact, Iran's money that we are blocking them from using until they sign the nuclear deal that we want them to sign. But he goes right on with this. We can't give you the 150. They'll say, but we want it. I say, we can't give it. We don't have it. We don't have it. That's called taking the lumps out as opposed to, okay. They will go crazy. It'll break up. Two days later, they'll call back. Let's make a deal. We keep the $150 billion. Yeah, so everything goes Donald Trump's way where he can make up the deal and make up what goes on and makes up how people are going to react to it. Keep in mind, though, this guy is such a great negotiator that he came up with a plan to get himself into the NFL and wound up with a check for $3 instead. And then when that happened, uh, just rewrote history. We expect to be around for many years to come. Team owner Donald Trump talked of a grandiose future. Looking back now, I never thought the league could make it. I thought it was a shot in the dark, which it was. This episode of PF's Tape Recorder is brought to you by Home Shirts Cleveland. For all of your Northeast Ohio vintage t-shirt needs, visit homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. You'll also find links to the original Cincy Shirts site, as well as Home Shirts Indianapolis, with more cities to come. That's homeshirts.com forward slash Cleveland. Now, on with the show. Will Durst is a stand-up comedian and political commentator who's loving life right now, of course, because it's his big season. He's been on the show many times before discussing politics and comedy here, and now is our interview with Will Durst. Um, let me welcome you into the podcast, and we'll get later. Well, thanks. It's great to be here. Okay. okay. Um, yeah, this. I think you've been on almost uh, as much as anybody. I think it's probably your third time on the show. Uh, well, I think uh, I've been in Minneapolis every year except I didn't go last year, so I don't know how long you've been doing it. Okay. Yeah, I think it's been. I think I might have interviewed you for a different paper too. Maybe I don't know. I can't remember. But any, this is your big season, man. Right? This is. Oh man, my my career is like a sine wave. You know, <laughs> I have uh, I have the election year, and then I have the the year afterwards. It goes way down because nobody wants to hear about politics. Right after the quadrennial, and then it goes up for the midterms and season because uh, it's the year before, and then now it's the midterms. So I mean, it's the it's the presidential election. So I'm very happy. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, we had this discussion last time because we were. Uh, the presidential election was coming up, and I think it was just after no, the midterms were coming up. It was after the presidential election because I asked you if you were kind of worn out, and that was after the Romney Obama uh, presidential race. But um, and we we were very hopeful that this campaign would be you know very fruitful for for comedy. And has it lived up to your to beyond your wildest dreams? This this campaign this has been lush like a tropical rainforest. Honestly, guys, it's, <laughs> it's like slam dunking from a stepladder. I, I, who would expect? The problem is everybody everybody thinks that Donald Trump, you know, is a gift from the comedy gods. But when you but when you actually try to, it's it's hard to parody a parody. 
You know, I mean, it's like trying to staple smoke. You can't get your hand around it. Wait, oh, hold on, I got a call from my wife. Yes? I'm sorry, I'm doing an interview. All right, bye. <laughs> Sorry about that. My wife called from the road. She's coming back from her sister's. Uh, anyway, I'm sorry. You were saying uh, Trump is a gift from the comedy gods? Well, he's, he's not really. I mean, it's hard to parody a parody. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, he just, it's, oh, boy, the whole Trump thing just from top to bottom is just crazy because he says all this crazy stuff, but people take it seriously, and they still cover him, and there's no there's no pushback. I know. He says, you know, he, he tells supporters what they want to hear, especially if they want to hear mean-spirited nonsense. And he's really good at that. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, of course, they've, they've fought all over him. And as they've pointed out on uh, Jimmy Dore's show, that uh, he's the only guy that gets to phone in to meet the press. Everybody else has to show up. He's allowed to phone in. I know. And he lives in New York. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and isn't, that, isn't that that far to go? He can just go down to down the street to 30 Rock. And he's there. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so who do you like in the uh, Republican field? Who do you really think it's going to come down to? Oh, I, I am the worst guy to ask. I mean, in 2008, I didn't think that uh, Obama could beat Hillary, and then I thought huh. that John McCain was going to win in the general. So I, I, am the, I am the totally wrong guy to ask. Yeah. But... <laughs> I think I think Kasich is the only guy that Repo that Democrats are actually afraid of. Yeah, you know, and he's from my state, right here in Ohio. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What so, do you think of him? Um, I mean, for a Republican, he's okay. The only thing is, I think he's, I think he's well. I'm, and people are gonna say, well, every politician's like that, PF. But I think he's sneaky. I think he's, you know, I think he uh, like that episode of Mash where the girl describes. How uh, radar seduced her, and it wasn't really radar, but he spoke like wind song, and that's what Kasich is. He speaks like wind song, and uh, he'll come in and I'll say, "Oh, I, I all the stuff." But if you look at what he actually did in Ohio, it, it's all a bunch of shenanigans to get his rich buddies richer, and it ends up screwing working class people. Even though on the surface it well looks okay, you know, I don't know. I mean, of the bunch though, yeah. I mean, if we got stuck with him, you could we could do worse, I guess. Hmm. Like he had this. Well, he had this thing, and we did. It, we talked about this on a on one of the first episodes I ever did of this show. Was um, but right after he became governor, he uh he came down to Cincinnati here, and he uh was very proud that they had brought this business into Cincinnati. They're moving this this company is moving their headquarters to downtown Cincinnati. Well, the problem is they moved across the river from Covington, Kentucky. Nobody moved. Didn't bring any jobs. Everybody that worked at that company stayed exactly where they were. If they lived in Indiana or Ohio, they stayed exactly where they were. He didn't bring anything. Now, maybe, okay, they're, they're going to pay taxes in Ohio. Hey, yeah, great. But he made it sound like there was this huge deal that 500 jobs are coming to Cincinnati. No, they're not. They're already here. The jobs are here. Idiotic. Yeah, so there's that. Nobody at the press pointed that out? No, no. No one said they're just moving across the river. There's just, you know... And and you think I would have said at least well Ohio's going to get some more tax money versus the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Okay, so that's a win. That's fine. But don't make run some jive bias that like these 500 jobs are coming to Cincinnati. <laughs> They're not. The jobs are already here. There's no new job. Where, where are you? In, <sighs> where are you in Cincy? Uh, on the east side. East side. Yeah, we're in the Eastern Hills, as they call it. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. But uh, as someone is that Adams. Uh, no, that's Adams that's district? no, that's way Adams County is east of us. That's um, that is Rob Wortman's uh, district. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So to get your bearings there, and our and our buddy um, Drew Hastings is the mayor out there in Hillsboro. Uh, he's a he, is little, he really little northeast of. He didn't know that. Oh, I thought you, I thought you'd be here. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's been mayor for. He just won again uh, t- to be mayor uh, of Hillsboro. So I think he's in his starting his third or fourth year as mayor of Hillsboro. Yeah. Oh, second term. Huh? Yes. Yes. Uh, cool. Running as a Republican. I get it. I gotta get him to hire me. <laughs> there you go. Good Hillsboro is nice. I think you'd enjoy it. Um, what I was gonna ask you was, as these as uh, as these Republicans drop out of the race uh, gradually, uh, does it make your job harder, or is it easier to focus on the remaining field? Well, you know what I'm doing is uh, I'm doing a little one man show uh, mostly, and. Uh, I'm calling it Elect to Laugh 2016. Okay. And I take an overhead projector on stage with me. Oh, neat. And then I show uh, a cell of transparency uh, of each of the candidates because there were 17 Republicans who announced that they were running. There were five Democrats who announced and Joe Biden. So that's that's 23 altogether. So, and then I have stories about each and every one of them. So, uh-huh. yeah. Um, and it looks like out of New Hampshire, there's going to be like four or five tickets. Usually there's only three tickets. But uh, we'll, we'll know more in a little bit. But uh, I still think that there's going to be a lot of people running because the pack money, it used to be you would stop running because you ran out of money. People oh, yeah, yeah. Your money. yeah. But now you got packs who are supporting you. So everybody has the money to uh, fly to South Carolina or fly to Michigan or fly to Minnesota, you know, I mean, and stay at a nice hotel and have deep fried turkey. (laughs) That's funny. Um, So, yeah, we should point out we're recording this on the day of the New Hampshire primary. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and so you're—I assume you're following that closely. What'd you make of what happened in Iowa? I guess um, I didn't really realize uh, all the controversy until I realized how they actually—I didn't know until this week how they actually did a, did a caucus. I didn't realize they didn't actually count people. They just stick your hand up in the air if you're voting for. Uh, well, for it's Hillary. different on both sides. Uh, Democrats and Republicans are different. Pretty much, uh, Republicans—you show up and uh, you have to attend, and they call the the role and everybody says here and then uh, they give you a ballot and you vote uh but you still i mean you still have to assemble but in the democrats they try to convince you uh, you know everybody for um uh julian assange goes into one corner and everybody for edward snowden goes into the other corner and then if uh the julian assange people don't have enough uh, and you need 15% for viability, 15% of the assembled. So if, otherwise, uh, if you don't have 15%, then you can either disband or join another group. So it's it's like a game of musical chairs without the music and no chairs. <laughs> That's what Iowa is like. Yeah, and, they- and Iowa, Iowa is downright, you know, diverse compared to New Hampshire. Iowa is only 87% white, and New Hampshire yeah. is 91% white. And and there's only 1.3 million people in New Hampshire. I mean, in California, we have larger 12-step programs. 
Well, as and he's, as this thing rolls on, are there certain things you're anticipating as the primaries roll into, like, you know, South Carolina and, and Super Tuesday and all that? Are there things you're kind of looking for, how these guys are going to react and how that's going to, you know, provide you some material, or are you just kind of letting things unfold as they unfold? Yeah, I'm just an observer. I, uh, <laughs> I have no... I have no uh, dog in this hunt. I, uh, I, I'm not, I'm not rooting for anybody. I was, I was a Hillary supporter, but, uh, then I kind of went, you know, Bernie's fun to watch. Yeah. And then, uh, um, uh, so, uh, I, I, I don't care. It was, it's the same way I felt during the Super Bowl. I was rooting yeah. for Carolina. Right. And then midway through, I found myself going, yeah, it wouldn't be that bad if Denver won. <laughs> And and then I and then you know let the old man win another one yeah. and I ended up rooting for Denver and I and I went into the game rooting for Carolina so it's weird yeah yeah it's uh, yeah very very similar although a lot more at stake I guess than with the uh, with the Super Bowl uh, certainly and uh, do you have a cat there with you I do indeed oh okay and she's not happy oh okay um oh I know you know you told me I think the first time I interviewed you. Uh, you, and you said this in other interviews that, you know, the, you used to be kind of in the middle, and then the middle kind of got pulled over by the Republicans over to the left. But you think Bernie is kind of well, pulling... Wow, you're good, P.F. You remember all this early stuff, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a great yeah, quote. Yeah, I, I, was, I was about on the 40-yard line, you know, because yeah. I grew up in Wisconsin, so I have okay. those Midwestern values, and sure. I believe, you know, that you have to work for your uh, your chances and, and your hopes and dreams and stuff. But uh, then I found that the Republicans just kept pulling the, the playing field, and I'm standing on the 10-yard line, and I'm a commie pinko yellow at bastard, and I didn't move. <laughs> so, yeah. So do you think Bernie's kind of pulling it the other way on the left because now he's you know, kind of forcing Hillary into this, you know, she thought it was going to be, uh, you know, you know, if you, maybe a token run by Joe Biden and, you know, but she uh, not only did the press anoint her early, but I think she kind of anointed herself, and and much to her surprise, is now having to stand up for, uh, not stand up for, but address some more progressive causes like bank reform and, and things like that. Yeah, much to her chagrin. Uh, first, first she got beat by a charismatic young black guy. Now she's getting beat by a charismatic old uh, Jewish uh, white guy. So yeah. <laughs> She can't win. <laughs> How about poor Jeb Bush on the other side? Oh, poor Jeb. He, you know how they always say that the generals are fighting the last war. Yeah. You know because that's oh, yeah, the one yeah. where they got to be generals. Well, <laughs> Jeb is fighting the last election. You know, I mean, he's fighting his his brothers or his dad. So, like, you see him at these debates and. You know, and Donald Trump is like a, a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I mean, he's biting out pieces of red meat and spitting them <laughs> in people's face. And, and you look over at Jeb, and he's aghast. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, he was on CNN the other night with his mom, and Anderson Cooper was talking to him. And uh, he just looked so bewildered, like, how in the world is this happening? And, you know, he's, uh, what, I, where did he, I didn't remember he being finished in Iowa. He was, what, fourth? He finished behind uh, Cruz, Trump, Well, yeah, Rubio, but and, Iowa it, isn't the Bush state. Iowa is the, the evangelical state, so. Well, that. But he could do, he could do well in New Hampshire, and he could do well in South Carolina. Hmm. He could come back. Yeah. You know, there's room. Rubio could come back. Cruz could come back. 
it's funny because they all had their moment in the sun and they they both blew it. So uh, let's see if we can go through. Um, cause the funniest thing about Trump is that he's Trump. We covered that. Uh, funniest thing about Cruz, you think? Oh, Cruz is crazy. He's <laughs> no, he's he's no, he's quite mad. He is. Yeah. I doubt if Ted Cruz could win a majority of the voices in his own head. <laughs> I mean, he's that crazy. <laughs> okay, uh, Rubio. Rubio is young and tan and tall and lovely. Um, no, he's uh, <laughs> <laughs> the boy from Ipanema. He um, Rubio. Everybody says that he's. Uh, too young to uh, govern that he doesn't really understand politics yet but he's also the guy who co-wrote legislation uh, with a bunch of other senators that would have provided a pathway to citizenship for oh, that's right. undocumented workers pardon? that's right I remember that yeah and then he voted against the very bill that he co-wrote so I think he is getting the hang of this whole government thing. Do <laughs> you think it hurts him that he's is not a a uh, um, a governor that he's only been in the Senate? Uh, it hurts him with the Republicans, you know, because uh, you know Obama was at the same exact spot four years into his first term, you know, when we elected him president. So uh, it it's it, it it's something that Christie can use. But Christie, uh, Christie is not a nice guy. You I was going to say, mean, yeah. Christie, he's a former prosecutor. I mean, even even when he's addressing his supporters, it sounds like he's reading them their rights. <laughs> well, he's, he's a big bully, and I had to cheat here and bring up a list of the candidates to ask you about because I can't keep them all straight in my head. And uh, I'm on Wikipedia here. Chris Christie's 53. He's just a little bit older than me. So no wonder he looks like a guy that used to beat me up in gym class. <laughs> <laughs> well, wow, he's Cruz that, and uh, and Ruby are both younger than you, yeah. Uh, Cruz is definitely Christie's older. Uh, Cruz is younger. I'm no, more. Cruz and and Rubio. Cruz is oh Rubio. Rubio is younger. Yes, yeah, he's way younger. Wow, he's forty four. Man, how about that? And uh, okay, so that takes us to uh, Ben Carson. I, I, it's uh, <laughs> a Republican black guy. I, I don't know about that. Uh, but, but man, when he talks, he talks so slow and delivered. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. It's like he's dipped into his own prescription bag. <laughs> well, you know, people used to put the knock on Michael Steele. And after seeing him on a couple of shows, I get it. He, you know, he, he does believe, but I think he believes actual Republican things, not crazy Republican things. He think, you know. You know, work is good. Uh, you know, uh, you shouldn't rely on the government so much. Smaller, that's all fine. That's all fine. I, I get Michael Steele, but yeah, like mostly though. I mean, well, anybody that's actually a Republican, I think, doesn't realize that the deck is probably stacked against you from there. Okay, we'll do one more here. Carly Fiorina. Oh, Carly. Uh, yeah, tougher than a two-dollar steak. Uh, Carly is. She's uh, trying to run. I have a joke. My yes. joke is. Uh, she's running her record as CEO of uh, Hewlett-Packard, which is like Oscar Pistorius running on his record as a marksman. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, but Carly, you know, I mean, uh, I, I would love if Carly and Hillary were the candidates. Just just to imagine, you know, 
just to imagine all those other rednecks going into the voting booths and having to choose between two women. I would just love to uh, yeah. <laughs> just see their little heads pop off. Yeah, that, that'd be funny. Um, so on stage, is it uh, you're you're doing your you're not doing your one man show when you're on doing the comedy clubs. You're doing the actual stand up, and is it mostly talking about? Oh the, yeah, yeah. I'm just doing 45 minutes of uh, headliner stuff. Okay. And is uh, is there a lot of churn in the material because of what's happening in the election, or is it more like an overview at this point of what? No, okay. it changes every day. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, line by line changes every day. I mean, you know, I mean, if you come on. Because uh, in Minneapolis, I work it on Tuesday through Saturday. Yeah. So if mm-hmm. you come on Tuesday, the show uh, won't be, you know, significantly different by Saturday. But there'll be different lines and different, you know, just because of what happens. Yeah, yeah. I watch. I watch the news so you don't have to. <laughs> A public service for us all. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, as you know, again, since you've been doing this for a while, is it the is the internet has it made this easier? Uh, to follow certain things, or is it is it is too much information and it's hard to sift through all of it? A little bit of both. Um, the too much information in that you have to narrow your sensory uh, tides. You know, uh, you have to decide what it is that you're going to look, and uh, you can't. Uh, you know, you can't be seduced by the follow this link, follow that link, follow this link. Uh, but the, where, where it's great is for research, you know, getting the spelling of a guy's name, oh, yeah. you know, finding out if, uh, you know, just there's so many, so many avenues for, for reference and research. That's what I love about the internet. Well, uh, and I remember the first time I saw a guy with a laptop on an airplane and I don't know what year it was, 86, 87. And I thought that is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I remember it. It was a grid. It was called, that was what it was called, a grid. And it was uh, like a flat black color. And it was huge, you know, compared to uh, laptops today. But uh, it came out of a, uh, a suitcase. He was carrying a typewriter. I don't know if you remember the old typewriter yeah, yeah. cases. But yep. yeah, and he pulled it out on an airplane. It probably had 512, you know, megs. But uh, I just thought, man, someday... I'll be able to carry around an encyclopedia with me. And then now, you know, on an airplane, they have Wi-Fi, and uh, you can go anywhere on the Internet. You, you take know, out your so. phone. I was going to say, right after this interview, yeah. I'm going to look up the spelling of Oscar the Choice for the article. Um, Storius, P-I-S-T-O-R-I-U-S. Oh, awesome. Thank you. You saved, me. you saved me a trip to the Internet. And the other thing, I just saw this uh, meme on, uh, on Facebook the other day. Someone posted, I think... I want to say it was Nikolai Tesla. I'm not sure if it was, but the quote was uh, it was from the early 20th century, I guess, and it said that uh, telephony and electronics will allow us to communicate with uh, each other across great distances, face to face, as if we were in the same room. And I thought, you know what? And we're we're almost there. <laughs> you know, if you have your if you have an AT&T cell phone plan, you yes, and we have uh, and we have FaceTime. Yes, and uh, those yeah. things those things almost work. Although I'm I'm surprised Skype is working as well as it is lately. Uh, this is probably the fourth interview. Well, FaceTime FaceTime saved me hundreds and thousands of dollars when I went to uh, uh, Europe uh, this summer, and I would talk to Debbie every day on FaceTime. Oh, okay. We didn't rack up a phone charge. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and I can uh, on Skype. I can call anywhere it's in North America. It's a pain in the ass, though. I mean, trying to maintain eye contact. Yeah. 
you know, because you walk around and you pour coffee. And, you yeah, know. yeah. Well, like my wife was out of town for a week last week, and I asked her, "Okay, oh, please FaceTime." She's like, "No, nah, I don't feel like it." <laughs> nah. <laughs> she loves me. Well, so. it's such an awful angle, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's that thing too. So she just did. She wasn't in the mood for it, but. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna do some. Yep. Some skin, some some skin monitoring, you know, on the neck. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. You gotta have to hold up the phone above your head to get the best angle. So, well, alrighty, sir. As always, hopefully we'll see you in Cincinnati sometime soon, uh, especially during this election hey, yeah, cycle. Yeah, tell Morty's I want to work there. That's uh, Indy. I'll uh, go bananas here. I'll put the word in. I gotta send him a list. By oh, the go way. bananas! Yeah, tell him yeah, yeah. they should have a political comic before the Ohio. Uh, they should. Yeah. First, a little late. All right, yeah, Superman. Sure. Well, have fun in Minneapolis. All right. Thanks and for taking Eloise the time. says hi. Oh, Say great. Hi, Eloise. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Eloise. All right. Well, uh, again, thank you, sir, for taking the time, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you for taking the time and uh, interviewing me. All right. Thank you, Will. Bye-bye. Bye, Pierre. Thanks again to Will Durst for being on the show. You can catch Will Durst at the Tahoe Improv, February 17th through the 21st, and, of course, at the Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis, February 23rd through the 27th. Uh, I don't feel like doing the credits this week, so we're going to go right to the song of the week. Song of the week is from David Guetta, featuring Sia and Fetty Wap. I do like David Guetta a lot, because everyone knows my view on EDM. In four-minute doses, I love it, but I'm not going to go and throw my hands in the air, uh, like Lord says. That's, you know, four minutes, I'm out. Uh, Another couple songs, maybe I can come back another EDM cut, I don't know. But I like Guetta stuff. I like what he does with all the different artists he works with. Uh, this is no different. And oddly, as I was saying in the intro, this was a huge hit in Britain. I think it got to like 20-odd, maybe into the teens in the in the top 50 there. Uh, did not do anything here. I think it got to like 80, uh, if that, and fell back out of the chart. Although I haven't checked the chart recently. I, I could be completely wrong. Because our friend Jimmy Pardo says that may or may not be accurate. Anyway, this is David Guetta featuring Sia and Fetty Wap. The song is called Bang My Head. Uh, this is our song of the week on BFC Recorder. So long, and thanks for listening.
Looking too far, I'm working up for Having fun, I don't know about